Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2,241 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. We are continuing the message that I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This is the seventh of a 25-week message series covering the book of Hebrews. This message is titled, Spiritual Surgery from a Sympathetic Surgeon. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. Today is Pentecost, and I thought about doing something focused just on Pentecost, but the lesson today in Hebrews focuses on that same thing about the church. So we're going to go with Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. And last week we continued our extended series through the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. We learned that we need to stop churning and start resting. And today in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, we'll learn how the great physician will perform spiritual surgery. Let's begin by reading today's passage. It's on page 1866 of the Pew Bibles, starting with verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and spirit, joints and marrows, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes of him, to whom we must give an account. And then it goes on and talks about Jesus as the great high priest in 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach, the thr- let us then, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in the help in the time of need. Now, two weeks ago, We learned that the author of Hebrews, when he taught these Jewish Christians who were tempted to drift away from their devotion to the Messiah, that they needed to guard against the dangers of a hard heart. And that was in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. And last week, we learned that the common symptom of a calloused heart includes panic and pride that prevent believers from experiencing that healing rest that God has promised to his children in Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, the hardness of heart continues in a, as an acute condition that robs us as believers from our faith, our love, and our hope. And these are all essentials to live a healthy Christian life. Unfortunately, there is no medication that can soften a spiritually hard heart, no physical therapy that can reverse a person's pride, no high-priced physician that can perform spiritual surgery or procedure to remove a heart that is filled with panic, threatening the joy of our Christian life. From a strictly human perspective, there's no treatment or tendency to do away with that hard-heartedness inherited from the fallen ancestors, our depraved ancestors that we have. But do we sit in despair? No, we do not despair because our sympathetic divine surgeon who is the Word of God in the flesh, incarnate. He wields a spiritually precise scalpel. And that scalpel is that Word of God. And that's what we're going to focus on today, is that scalpel that God uses on us. 
Christ alone is able and willing to perform a heart transplant, to remove that heart of stone that we become insensitive to the spiritual things and then to replace it with a heart of flesh that beats in rhythm with his own heart. As Ezekiel told us in chapter 11, verse 19, and I will give them a singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart. And I, Ezekiel was referring to the day of Pentecost here. As he said, I'll put that new spirit within them. And it's only a thing that will require us in earnest to sing the same song that David sang in Psalm chapter 51, verse 10. And we sang as a praise song this morning. It says, and create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. That's what we are to do on a daily basis. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16 is an example of the truth of God's written word. In the hands of a master surgeon, he has the ability to cut into our hearts, into our minds, not to destroy us, but to heal us. Though often painful, the spiritual surgery is a vital part of the process that leads us to God's healing rest. We cannot rest completely until we have that surgery done. Though often painful, that spiritual surgery leads us to that rest. And we can place ourselves on that operating table. None of us like to go onto an operating table, but we can place ourselves on that operating table with complete confidence, knowing that the hands of the surgeon that are guided by love. Verses 12 through 13, it appears that it's a verbal detour, interrupting that natural path of the argument that the author of Hebrew was giving. So far in Hebrews chapter 4, he has dealt with the promise of God's rest and the need for us to enter that rest by faith, by belief, and obedience. Then suddenly, amid this sprint, the author discusses God's word. This understandably leaves us wondering, what these two verses have, how do they fit into the context of this entering God's rest? However, if we begin to understand and recall that the bigger context of this chapter 3 and 4 is entering into God's rest because of hard-heartedness. We need to have that hard-heartedness removed. Then it makes sense. Lingering unbelief, rebellion, pride, and fear from our natural sinful condition are major handicaps that slow us down in our journey to that spiritual rest, to that victorious life in Christ that we can have every single day. So verses 12 and 13 is the respite. Allows us to address the issue that is setting us back, preventing us from making that spiritual progress that we need to make. It says that the author of Hebrew is saying, all right, everybody, stop right now. The lingering condition that causes a callous heart, that we're dogs, our spiritual progress, you've been in it long enough. Stop. Take time and care, at least for now. Once for all, and to that end, the writer turns our attention to God's word, examining the identity, the characteristics, and the ability that is implication for all of us. We begin zooming in like you do on your phones when you pan out and zoom into a picture to get the details. We need to zoom into the identity of the word of God in verse 12. Most of us would immediately assume that when he says the word of God, he's referring to the Old Testament because that's all they had then. And we would be partly correct. But the scripture 
the phrase, the Word of God, can refer to several related things. First of all, it is the written Word of God that we have, the complete Scripture now, in all its fulfillment. But secondly, it also refers to the Word of God incarnate, the Word of God in the flesh, and that is Jesus Christ, as we're told in John chapter 1, verse 14. But thirdly, it also refers to the Word of God as a message that God's proclaiming through other individuals. It's the spoken Word of God that we do here at church and should do throughout the week. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 14, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 13 tells us. So in a broader threefold sense, the Word of God includes anything that's communicating God's revealed Scripture. It could be the written Word. It could be thinking about Christ, the Word of God, in the flesh. Or it could be verbal words as we speak to one another. It could be biblically faithful teachers who can teach God's Word, either in the pulpit or in the classroom. It could be biblical counselors who refer to God's Word as they're tending to hurting clients. It could be a praise team who's singing God's word in hymn and in song, regardless of the means that God uses to communicate it. His life-giving message, that written word of God, and pointing to the word of God incarnate through Jesus Christ, through us, can help to nourish, to heal, and refreshes those who hear it in faith. So the author of Hebrews refers to the word of God in verse 12. We should think of God's revealed truth, However, he has chosen to deliver it. He could deliver it through different means, but it's that same truth. In the strictest sense, it is the inspired words of the prophets and the apostles that we have in the written word of God. However, the revealed truth can be amplified when we talk about Jesus Christ through written pages and books by teachers or lessons that are preached in sermons. It could be biblically-centered songs, and even conversations that we have with one another can be proclaiming that Word of God. It doesn't mean that these various avenues that they use as humans are infallible or without error. Certainly, each of us are fallible, but God's Word is not fallible. It's infallible, and Jesus Christ, who we'll talk about more today, is infallible. So let us consider the characteristics of God's revealed truth. Looking more closely at verse 12 again, we find these three words described in God's word. And that is alive, active, which means powerful, and sharp. So look at your bulletin insert on the side. It says spiritual surgery by the divine surgeon. Spiritual precision scalpel is the written word of God. We see, first of all, that the word of God is alive. The Bible is no dead book. The gospel message is no empty mantra. And Jesus is no figure in history buried by centuries of myths and legends. Jesus is alive. The gospel saves. And the Bible always is relevant for our lives today. Secondly, the word of God is active. And the Greek word for active means energist. And it's an English word that we get energy from. God's revealed word is effective and powerful. It accomplishes what it set out to do. It reminds me of God's description of his effective power that was revealed in another chapter of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. It says, The rain and the snow come down from heaven and stay on the earth or on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to. 
and it will prosper everywhere I send it. And that is so true of God's word. God's dynamic word does what nothing else can do. No poem, no matter how beautiful it is, no song, no matter how moving it may be, and no novel, no matter how inspiring it is, cannot accomplish what God's word can accomplish. And what it doesn't accomplish with this power. But Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 answers that question for us. And the third point under the spiritual surgery about the word of God is the word of God is sharp. The author uses the metaphor of double-edged sword. I've used this many times. It's come in quite handy for us. And the kids certainly enjoy it. The grandkids do. It's the Greek word for sword is macharia. It's a relatively short sword or other sharp instrument. It could refer to a dagger, a little dagger, or whether the author had in mind a dagger or a sword like this, which is about the size of what a short Roman sword would be. It's sharpened on both edges. And the purpose is to cut and destroy at times. But sometimes destruction is necessary in order to produce good out of it. Imagine, as the picture in our bulletin insert is today, a surgeon's scalpel, the sharpest of all instruments. The word of God is sharper still. The author, if they were writing today, he may say, think about the scalpel that the surgeon uses. And when it cuts us, when we're having an operation, does that hurt us? Physically, yes. But it's necessary. When I broke my leg, they had to cut a quite a long slice in my hip in order to insert the rod into my bone. If I were awake during that operation, I'm sure it would have hurt because it sure hurt before going into that operation. But it was necessary in order to reinforce my leg to give it the strength it needed to heal. And that's what God's word does for us. In other words, the word of God isn't a blunt instrument designed to bludgeon God's opposition. Instead, it's a razor-thin edge that can precisely cut whatever it penetrates. And so it does with the living word of God, the sharp as it needs to be. Let us finally consider under that third point the two abilities of the word of God being sharp because it penetrates and it judges. First, the Greek word translated penetrate is diakoneomaya. And it means to move through a three-dimensional space with exact precision. The word of God penetrates deeply the inmost part of our lives. It can probe so deeply and with such precision that the author uses it to illustrate something, a cunning ability that he mentions two things that would typically be very difficult to separate. That's the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. Interesting, it refers to in two aspects, both an immaterial and the material part of our lives. The point seems to be that the word of God is, affects the most comprehensive manner of that whole person. Think about our modern technology today using advanced surgical techniques. And I think Claudia's, when she had her surgery on her liver just a couple weeks ago, they used precision robotics as they're using that more and more. And the surgeon guides that precise instrument with just a tiny, very tiny incision in order to get into the inside and do the work it's necessary. They can do it from a different room. My sister Carol, who's a gynecologist, operates 
when she does surgery, actually from a different room separated from the operating room, as she guides those precise instruments. And with today's internet connection and the right equipment, operations can be done anywhere in the world remotely. A doctor here in the United States, a surgeon, can remotely operate on somebody anywhere in the world. Just think what Jesus Christ can do, because that type of surgery doesn't even match with the master, that sympathetic, that empathetic surgeon, as he operates on our hearts with the Word of God. And that's what he does. Secondly, the Word of God exhibits an uncanny ability to judge. The Greek word here is criticus, and it's not meant to be a legal or judicial sense. We get the words, it means discerning, analyzing, or scrutinizing, and we get the words critical, criticize, and critique from it. The Word of God can sift through the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. When the New Living Translation puts it, it exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. And I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I want some of my innermost thoughts and desires revealed at times. But that's what God's Word does, is penetrates to those thoughts and desires to root them out in order for us to become more like Him. God's probing truth functions like a high-resolution body scan. It shows the details that nothing else can reveal. It exposes our deepest feelings, desires, instincts, passions, and motives of our heart. In the hands of a loving master surgeon, imagine that razor-sharp spiritual instrument and what it can accomplish. And this is precisely what the author of Hebrew strikes here as he's talking about verse 13. When people suspect something is wrong with us physically, some will put it off going to the doctor. They say, well, what if I have a terrible report? What if this pain is cancer? They don't really want to face a painful decision. They'd rather ignore it. Or maybe they think they can get better by treating the symptoms on their own at home. But whatever the reason, many resist placing themselves under the care of a person that can actually help them the most. And the same is true in our spiritual realm. Those who desire to have spiritual health should never fear the Word of God or the God of the Word who applies it to our lives. In verse 13, the author seems to sum up his teaching of Psalm, in Psalm 139, in this critical passage that teaches both God's omnipresence, which means God is everywhere at all times, and his omniscience. That means he is all-knowing. Let me read the first six verses of Psalm 139. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I am far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. That's certainly a passage that we need to ponder a bit, on a bit. But who is this great physician who holds the steady hand and the powerful word of God that qualifies his nature to bring healing to our souls? The answer is found in verses 14 through 16 of this passage. And it shouldn't surprise us. He is the theme of the entire book of Hebrews from the very first chapter. 
In verse 14, starts with that conjunction word, therefore. And it indicates that the author, and what he's been saying about the word of God in verse 12, and of whom we must give an account in verse 13, but he points to verse 14 ultimately to our great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Now, Jesus Christ is the word in the flesh. He became flesh and dwelled among us. He is the one who bears the blade of the inspired word of God. Not a sword to punish, but a scalpel to heal us. By delving deeply into our lives to uncover the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts, as verse 13 says, Jesus Christ can strengthen our confession and lead us into that spiritual place of rest that God is available for all his people, as we looked at last week in verse 11. Two natures of Christ, his full deity and his full humanity are found in these three verses. They're manifested and compared in these three verses. In verse 14, we are reminded that he is the Son of God who is ascended into heaven. He is God. The image emphasizes the divine, heavenly nature of Jesus Christ. But then in verse 15 and 16, the fullness of his humanity is on display. Jesus Christ, in verse 15, it says, was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. The same circumstances, the same situations, the same allurements that bombard us on a daily basis and we struggle with, Jesus Christ also were assaulted by those same passions and desires that we have. The Son of Man didn't float through life in a catatonic zombie state with his earplugs in and blinders on. He saw, he heard, he felt all these trials and temptations that we feel on a daily basis. But unlike us, he didn't sin. Not in thought, not in word, and not in deed. Because as genuine experience as a real human, Jesus can empathize with our weaknesses. To empathize is to be able to feel as that person is feeling because you have gone through it before yourself. Somebody who has cancer and has been healed can empathize with somebody who's going through it today because they have been there and they understand it. It's different than having sympathy for somebody, feeling sorry for somebody, but not fully understanding. Jesus Christ can empathize with our, us and our weaknesses. Christ has been tested as we are tested. Christ has been weak as we are weak. Christ has suffered as we have suffered. And he has come through it victoriously. That is why he can offer us the grace. If we draw near to him, as verse 16 tells us, the perfect man who identified himself as human, fully human, he is sympathetic and empathetic. And he's our high priest that can stand before God and say, I understand what they're going through. I can relate to what they're going through because I also went through it. As the perfect imager of God, who knows our weaknesses completely, he is able to heal us. Because of Christ, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. As the New Living Translation puts it, it says, let us boldly come before the throne of our gracious God. The incarnate God-man, Jesus, is willing and able, as verse 16 tells us, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The reason he goes before God as our high priest is to help us 
in our time of need. So what's the application of today's passage? It's on the other side of your bulletin insert. Submitting to the surgeon, our great high priest. Now, some people have imagined that Jesus, when he finished his work on the cross, he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. They felt he sat down, put his feet up, and retired. But nothing could be further from the truth. As we'll learn in a few weeks in chapter 7, verse 25, it says he lives forever to intercede with God on our behalf. He's standing before God's throne constantly saying, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. There is no condemnation for those who trust in Christ Jesus. He is our high priest. He stands ready to hear our pleas and our petitions, and that's why we pray and praise to him, is that he stands before the throne of God. He is able to empathize with our pains and our problems. So how does he provide this healing that we so desperately need? Well, this passage today, 12 through 16, the author makes it clear. First of all, we must submit humbly to his healing touch, is in your bulletin insert. This means we don't give up and fight the physician. We stop trying to self-diagnose our woes or self-treat our worries. Instead, we surrender our sins to him. The best action I can think of is to put this kind of obedient submission to the practice of prayer, going before him on a constant basis. Prayer isn't just sitting down and on your knee or on your knees and praying with your head bowed. Prayer can be anytime, anywhere, any place, no matter what activities you're participating in. You can just a short prayer, like Hezekiah before the king. Says, I prayed in my heart before the Lord, and then he answered. The best action I can think of is to go to him in prayer. We need to humbly submit our and confess our unwillingness and our unworthiness. We then need to ask him to work his work in us, trusting him that he's our great physician, trusting him as you would an expert dentist or an experienced surgeon. Yes, the heavenly physician may cut us where it hurts, especially if he treats our spiritual condition of a hard heart. But remember, he's doing it not to harm you, but he's doing it to heal you. That's why I still have a scar in my leg. It wasn't to harm me. It was to heal me. Because the surgeon wanted what was best for me and wanted to restore my health. Jesus Christ does that spiritually. Secondly, we need to draw near to him. Christ invited us to come to him so he can give us rest from our weakness, from our heavy burdens that we bear each day, as we read in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 last week. And we need to realize, stop trying to do it on our own and allow Jesus Christ to work through us. That is the only way that we'll be healed. We can't heal ourselves. We need to allow Christ to heal us. We need to show up for the appointments and allow him to probe and pierce us with our live, his living in his powerful word, which is able to heal us. Physically, practically speaking, it's drawing, actively drawing near to him, and it means reading and studying as God's word for daily nourishment. If we want strength, we must go to the source of strength on a daily basis in order to gain that strength. 
is not to check off a box or meet some sort of goal that we have of reading the Bible through a year or some other goal, but to let the surgeon, to use this truth, the truth of the scripture, to discern our thoughts and our attitudes of our hearts. We need to read the word of God, asking God to reveal the sin that's in our lives, and then we need to repent from those points of pain that he points out in our lives. We need his healing. Besides reading the word of God, we need to draw near to him through gathering together as believers in the church. That is what God designed. We need to draw on each strength of each other. As the Holy Spirit dwells in us individually, he also dwells in us as a group of believers to even a bigger magnitude. We must minister among others, building them up and allowing them also to minister to us when we need ministered to. It's all done by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we apply these passages in our lives and obediently and submittively and actively draw near to him, we need to allow that heavenly surgeon to do the work that only he can do through his living and his powerful word. It's the written word we have. It's the word of God in the flesh. And the word as we share it with each other to encourage, to build up, to lift up, to heal each other through God's word. And that's what the passage of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16 covers today. Now, next Sunday, we'll continue through the series and our adventure through the book of Hebrews. This message is the last of that first section, Christ is a superior in his person. Next week, we'll start section two, which is Christ is superior as our high priest. And we'll go into the high priest functions. So our next week, our message will be God's son, our priest. So read, please read Hebrews chapter five, verses one through 10 in preparation for next week's message. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your love, your goodness, your mercy to us. We thank you that you are the great physician, the great healer, and also our great high priest who's interceding for us, who's gone through the same trials and temptations that we do every day, Father, and yet without sin. And that allows Jesus Christ to stand before your throne and plead for our strength, saying they're not guilty because I took their place. We thank you for this, Father, for this time where we can minister, this time where we can study your word. Help us to apply it to our hearts and our lives every day, Father, to live more like you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend, as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.